Hello, I'm Rachel Sandbrooks. I'm a writer and comedian, and this is the Stand By Your Nan podcast. I've been a wild rover for many a year, and I spent all my money on whiskey and beer. Welcome to episode six of the Stand By Your Nan podcast the podcast about my nan and your family histories too. And today's episode is entitled Granny Yoda. We're asking big metaphysical questions like, why is my spirit animal a fox if they keep pooing in my garden? And was my nan psychic? And if she was, why didn't she make loads of money like Yuri Geller? This episode is exploring the supernatural and spiritual side of life, where I talk about my nan's ghostly adventures, whether we had the gift and all things yoga and psychic, with my special guest, comedian Ishi Khan Jackson, who's a fabulous comedian and a laughter yoga practitioner, which I'm sure comes in handy at gigs. And as always, there will be some stories of my nan. Nan, are you out there? Knock once for yes and... Oh, well, I'm sure that's just a sound effect, isn't it? Isn't it? Nanecdote! My nan always told me that we came from a long line of white witches. Listeners, please don't burn me at the stake. And she also had many weird and wonderful adventures with spiritualism and religion of all sorts. She once decided she was really of the Baha'i faith, even though she didn't really know much about it, because they believed that all religions were the same and linked just out of unconditional love. She was, let's put it mildly, open-minded and a bit of a hippie. And why not? She'd seen stuff that no one would believe, and she only talked to me about it, when the door was shut in the back room. She told me once about what had happened when she had a visitation from Eric, her big brother who she adored. One night, a couple of years into the war, I woke up and I thought it was the babbo, but there was Eric in full uniform at the bottom of my bed. What you doing here, Eric? I asked, but he didn't reply and then he disappeared and we found out later he'd been killed in action. This ghostly sighting was not kind of unusual in the World Wars, but it must have set her on a path of discovery, along with her sister. They spent years holding strange spiritual circles with their friends. Well, I say strange, it's the kind of thing you can do down the community centre now. You know, chakra clearing, transcendental meditation, um, channeling spirits from the void, meeting the head of the Mooney Church, all of those kinds of things that she did. Perfectly normal, kind of. My nan used to do yoga, but it wasn't so much that she was a yoga bunny as a yogi bear. She got up at dawn and did breathing and meditation in the time before you were kind of allowed to do that sort of thing. She was definitely a hippie and a health fanatic, Before hippies had even arrived, this was in the 50s and the early 60s, they really definitely hadn't reached Quinton. They'd only just got to California. Yoga was weird. I mean, so was yoghurt. A pint of green that was cabbage water, not so much. She learnt yoga from books because they didn't have those groups in the local community centre and I was always walking in on her healing someone. 
She completely changed her personality whenever I asked her about mystical things, which I was only allowed to ask when no one else was around. She looked at me as if her soul contained the secrets of the universe. And she was instantly transformed from the quiet round housewife into Granny Yoda. Eternal present moment, so it is. Mind you, it wasn't all pearls of wisdom. One day, she visited us when she was about 80, and my grandmother, who I'd only ever seen in dresses and skirts, turned up in a turquoise tracksuit, turquoise necklace, and a turquoise jumper. You're looking very colourful today, Nan, I said. Oh, yes, dear. I saw David Icke on Wogan last night. Oh, I said. The night before... David Icke, the sports presenter, had declared himself the son of God on television. I mean, honestly, David Icke supporters don't come hunting me. I'm just saying it was a bit of a shock at the time. And she said, yes, I did. He's right, you know. That's why we have to wear turquoise. Oh, God, I said. Yes, that's right, she said. But then the following week, um, he started spouting about alien lizards taking over the planet. And to be fair, we never saw that turquoise tracksuit again. She quietly went back to painting instead. Today on Stand By Your Nan is Ishi Khan Jackson. She's fun, one of Funny Women's Best Show Award nominees. She's been regularly standing up as a comedian since she began a comedy club in 2008. And she's been touring her third solo show, I'm Migrant. She aims to shift perspectives, challenge prejudice and sprinkle lightheartedness wherever she goes. And she also does a side hustle in inspiring card readings and is an all-round ray of sunshine. Welcome, Ishi. So nice to have you here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Rachel. That's so sweet. Well, the theme of today's um, episode is Granny Yoda, because my <laughs> grandmother was really into kind of whole range of spiritual things way before the modern kind of things that we know now, like yoga that everybody does and even things like tarot readings and all of, and meditation. It just wasn't mainstream at all. It was very hidden. So I thought you might be a great person to ask because you, you also embrace a lot of the positivity and meditation and yoga and all sorts of things. So um, we do ask everyone at the beginning of the interviews, if you have a Nan story or a Nanecdote. So if you could, if you wouldn't <laughs> mind sharing with us a bit about your grandmothers or at, at one or two, whichever ones, um, yeah. about their history. Yeah. Okay. So um so I guess I guess you're right. You know, nans are are quite spiritual anyway in their making. I've, I think the whole idea of spirituality is quite interesting. It wasn't a term I'd heard before I actually moved to the UK, and uh, people went, "Oh, someone's so spiritual," or "This is spiritual." I was like, "What does that mean?" So for us, sort of growing up, I grew up in Zambia in Africa. It was just part of the whole being just you know it's it's just part of the whole it's not a separate entity it doesn't have a it doesn't have a, a definition to it I guess so I had to yeah okay but uh, Nan's stories yes yeah, so my grandma my grandma looking at her is very very strong and powerful woman actually um thinking about it so Muslim background 
that's my background. But my grandma migrated uh, from India to East Africa because her parents moved. So my great grandparents who are met um, moved to Kenya. And uh, my grandma was married quite young. Um, and uh, the, the Nan story I've got is while she was in the UK. So I took one of uh, my, well, not one, I wasn't having several boyfriends at the time, but I took my boyfriend at the time <laughs> to meet my grandmother. And my grandmother was diabetic. So she, um, she wasn't allowed a lot of sweet stuff. But my boyfriend liked to buy her this box of Indian sweets and, um, you know, and she loved them. She especially loved like the carrot one because that it's like carrot cake, isn't it? It kind of feels healthy in some ways. <laughs> so she would love that. And then he'd buy like when he would go to the um, to the shop, they get let you pick. It's like, you know, you pick the which ones do you want? And he would always pick the ones that he likes the most. And I was like, really? What? This is not, you know my grandma would want more of the carrot holvers please and then this box would arrive at my grandma's and she would open it and put it on the table for everybody to share before we've left he's polished off most of the box and so <laughs> I know right so she learned and the next time he took this box she looked at it she put it on the table for a bit he opens the box. She quickly slams it shut and stucks and and she just shoves it under her sofa for later. <laughs> she, she's just amazing. But I mean, one of her powerful moments was um, it was a family wedding. So again, this was uh, you know uh, with with a boyfriend. I arrived and it was really frowned upon uh, that I even had a boyfriend. My family kept it all quiet and hush hush. They were embarrassed in front of the community. Um, a, he's not Muslim. B, he's white. And C, we're not married. So there were quite you know it was quite a tense thing anyway. My grandmother and her sisters, really powerful women, turned up and went. Well, we'll all go together then. <laughs> and so we piled into this hall and the groom um, notices my grandmother, doesn't want to take her on, doesn't want to take <laughs> her sisters on. So he lets them walk and then he calls me back and basically tells me that I'm not welcome there. Mm. So as I go into the, into the hall, uh, quite distraught and upset, um, I'm ready to leave and then uh, I go into the toilets and I'm bawling my eyes out. My grandmother comes and finds me and asks what happened. And I said, well, I'm going to have to leave because, you know, this is what he said. And she says, right, OK, that's fine. So she goes and finds the groom, grabs him, brings him into the loo and makes him apologise. Wow. <laughs> she says she's staying and so is her boyfriend and you better get used to it. And they're going to have a meal and that's the end of it. And her sisters piped up and said, well, this is absolutely ridiculous because if you're going to do this, then we're all leaving. And of course, he couldn't have handled the embarrassment of that. So, yeah, we got to stay. So very powerful Gosh. woman. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like um, they really had to confront the status quo in that kind of moment that they they challenged it and um, that yeah really hard especially at a wedding oh, that's when yeah. you're like most on your best behavior isn't it <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> 
and she made like an extra gesture she just grabs hold of his head and then brings it down to him to, not the groom's head my boyfriend's head um, and looks around makes sure everybody's looking brings it down to her face and then kisses him on the head oh <laughs> as if to say i approve of this anyone else got a problem <laughs> even though he stole her sweets every time <laughs> oh, oh that sounds great but where was she? So where did she grow up then? Did she grow up India. in India and then moved to Kenya and then moved to Zambia as well? Yes. And wow. then the UK. And yes. then the UK. Yeah. So I think, you know, migration is part of our family roots, mm. really, in history. Um, in that sense, she's, yeah, she's just very all embracing um, and, yeah, loving in lots of ways. And I mean, the thing about that, that particular wedding incident just shows me how spiritual she actually is or was, you know, because if I think about it, you know, it, you would expect the older generations to have a bit more of a bias. Yeah. And it wasn't that. And she was just encompassing and embracing, as were all of her sisters. So we have these ideas that, you know, it's, it's the elderly, they've got, they're stuck in their ways, or they're a little bit racist, or they're a little bit like this. And actually, you know, spirituality doesn't see any of those differences. And that, to me, was proof of how spiritual, you know, she's always been um in that sense yeah absolutely that's definitely that was definitely my nan's kind of philosophy and yeah it is that thing about you know when brexit happened and everybody started blaming the grands basically and saying they're all racist and like I was like but my grandmother was this incredible role model who really she wasn't allowed to show any of that to people but she did used to kind of um talk about it in private and she'd say we're all connected and we're all part of this kind of um, unconditional love. And she said that was all that she tried to do. She used to talk about following the kind of the real yoga, not just the movements, but about meditation. Yes. I was wondering if, yes. given that I know that you used to do laughter yoga, or unless you still yes. do it. Yes. So yeah. um, what's your understanding of yoga? Because I know a lot of people mm -hmm. listening might think in terms of going down the gym and getting their abs <laughs> I mean I, I I like it I really I enjoy it I'm not as dedicated as I'd like to be yeah um yeah so yeah um yoga is is about union it's really about union so it's about bringing yourself into alignment and making yourself completely whole and nothing wrong with going to the gym the gym focuses entirely on the physical. Yeah. Whereas yoga is quite subtle, where it focuses on the physical, but it focuses on the deep levels within our subconscious, which then start to shift our physical. So for instance, yoga postures might look like, oh, somebody's just lying down and having a nap, um, or they're standing, you know, in a mountain pose, for instance. But actually, the focus and the attention is really on bringing your presence into your body and bringing you into that moment and focusing on the muscles that you're using to stand upright and stand straight and see, you know, are you standing straight? Are you slouched? 
So very simple looking postures, and you might not think you're doing anything, but actually the work you're doing is on a much deeper level and it's far more long lasting. I'd seen this lady in Zambia um, at a, it was an event and there was like a whole outdoor area where it was just like pebbles and gravel. And she sat on this gravel in what I now know, you know, quite cross-legged pose, straight spine. And we all like sat cross-legged, you know, my grandma would just like sit cross-legged. And that to me is not a deal. Like how come people don't sit on the floor? You know, we did that a lot. Um, but yeah, she sat there and I thought on the gravel, look how sit she, how still she's sitting. And I was fascinated by this. And I must have been eight or nine at the time. Mm. So I went up to the lady and I asked her, I said, how come you could sit so still for so long? And uh, she, she smiled, she winked and she went, oh, yoga. Well, that was it. So I went to the library and I got a book and started to teach myself yoga. Uh, yeah. And, and that was my journey into it, really. Well, I was laughing when you said you um, got a book from the library. Is That's exactly how my nan learned yoga when in the 60s um when they didn't have any courses at all and it was seen as really weird so she must have started in her 50s or something and I've actually got a couple of books here I mean obviously it's a podcast so they can't see it but I've got a couple of the books and they're both from kind of the 1960s it's one of metaphysical meditations and 14 lessons in yogi philosophy and it is literally the original from like um the original lessons from 1904 it says when they started teaching it so it's incredible that there's that really nice connection that that's how you kind yeah. of came to it as you actually read it in books you didn't go and get taught by anyone you kind of found it yourself can you tell us about how you started in comedy or how you your first kind of formative moment when you were singing a song to an assembly oh Sorry. my goodness right okay so that was in Zambia um so I was yeah as a, as a little girl right um we okay so in Zambia in schools um just to give you an idea our class sizes were you're looking about 50 to 60 children in a wow. class that was pretty normal um and you know uh, one of the things we had was an assembly every single morning. We had a school assembly in the hall. And uh, on the Friday, we had every class, uh, well, every year had like a different time every week or whatever that they would come and put on a little thing. And it came to our class's turn. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to sing a uh, Bollywood song. Um, Amita Bachchan, who is like a big idol. My grandma loved Amita Bachchan, right? So I was like, oh, she loves it. And uh, yeah, let's let's have a sing. I was so out of tune, Rachel. <laughs> but I really thought I was I was singing just like him. I was to my in my head, I was his voice. I was like, <laughs> oh yes, you know, I'd become him. <laughs> and the kids, because um, Bollywood, you know, is is sung in Hindi. Yeah. Um, the kids in Zambia didn't know the language. Uh, they didn't know the song and uh, they all just burst out laughing <laughs> and I was like really mortified inside but I carried on and I thought oh okay <laughs> so I guess looking back that was probably 
the second time that I can think of that I made like a huge group of people laugh <laughs> the first time was of course when I was born I love the idea that you're in a way your grandmother inspired your first gig <laughs> isn't she amazing yeah she inspires me now to, still I mean she's just yeah she's out of this world you know <laughs> other things that you got from your grandmother do you remember her cooking or I mean I always remember my my grandmother was actually um a baker she did baking as her trade so oh. she we did learn to cook together kind of thing yeah. and um I learned all about cooking with her and that's yeah. not very uncommon. So I was just wondering, did your grandmother uh, teach you to cook or was that more your kind of mother's thing? Or No, I was a bit of a cooking rebel, shall we say, uh, because I think because it was perceived as women's uh, yeah. work, I rebelled uh, to the point that when I was at university here in the UK, I didn't even know how to boil an egg. And <laughs> <laughs> The opposite <laughs> yeah the opposite of that and uh you know my grandma was appalled sometimes actually when um like when she visited and I was uh, with my boyfriend and he was doing the dishes she was like whispering she was whispering to my mum or yeah, oh, to, uh, yeah to my cousin she was whispering in her ear to says look at her she's she's making him do the dishes <laughs> So she was really taken aback by even that idea. And, you know, when I, heard, I thought, oh, I wish I'd known, I could have said, yeah, he vacuums as well. And <laughs> for me, when I first came to the UK, we had uh, trips and, and buses and things like that. You know, we had, I hadn't seen a double-decker bus before. Oh, wow. And so that was, like, really exciting, just getting on a double-decker bus, you know. Um, and we didn't really get on the buses in Zambia. So, yeah, that was really exciting with grandma, you know, um, and she loved going to the bull ring, you know, because my, my granddad. But yeah. Well, yeah, I know she loved the bull ring. Uh, she's very proud, very proud of that. My granddad was involved in, in the construction of it. So, yeah. So I think he came here, had a construction job and then then, you know, while they were living in Zambia and then went back, you know. But um, yeah, so she was very proud of the bull ring and she loved going there. So when I visited her when I was at school here, um, she'd make the most of it and say, come on, you can carry my veggies from the market. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be like the veggie carrier, you know. But I remember uh, some, some wonderful things about her, which are making a bit more sense now, the more I read and, uh, and understand what, what people are defining as spirituality in that if she saw um, somebody who was limbless or hurt or whatever begging on the streets she would um, call God's name and I thought she was like oh my goodness no I can't I can't see that but yeah. actually what she was saying was looking at somebody who hasn't got limbs is actually reminding her to be grateful that God has given her limbs. Mm. You know. so, yes, 
there but for the grace of God kind of thing. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, which I thought was, you know, such a lovely, lovely thing. And then there were other things that are part of our, our being, our, our, uh, I'm not sure if it's cultural, but our family, like the moment, you know, we as cousins, we used to go out and play a lot. So when it was dinner time or whatever, we'd come in and the first thing we had to do was go and wash our hands and our face before we even sat at the table. Mm. And that you know has quite a profound spiritual um impact because just the the uh, idea of washing your hands washing your face is about cleansing the aura and making you very present in the now so there wasn't a a a thing of eating in front of tvs you know we did we didn't have that if the whole family was getting together, which like on a Friday, it was my grandma, all my cousins, my uncles and aunts, we'd all go to my grandma's house. And uh, there wasn't an issue again, or we haven't got enough chairs for the table. Um, there was just a bed sheet thrown on the floor and everybody would sit on the floor. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we were used to that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And so when I see people saying, oh, well, I can't sit on the floor, that to me was quite a strange idea. And that that idea that, you know, elderly people especially can't sit on the floor was an even stranger idea. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't, they... yeah, not what I'd grown up with. Yeah. So, yeah. I think yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the good things that came out of my nan doing a lot of that kind of practice because she'd get up at dawn and um she'd I think she would sit cross-legged and do meditation or something at dawn and um she when she she was 98 when she died in about 2009 so she was uh nearly a century old but I remember her falling downstairs in her 90s and the doctor saying basically she bounced because she kind of was so supple from doing many years of just kind of moving her body and doing all kinds of different things um that yeah it kept her going really and it was always a thing that was a little bit strange about her that she did those kinds of things but actually I think it was always something that I admired that she didn't really listen to what people were supposed to do she did what she thought was good for her really and good for the body and I thought or just your mind body spirit all of that yeah um it was, it was really like, yeah, it was really quite inspiring that somebody who didn't really have any education and, mm-hmm. you know, learned so many things from books and just kind of did her own life, really. Yeah. So uh, my grandma didn't have education because, you know, it was uh, at a very young age, she was married off and stuff like that. So there was there was all that. Um, yeah, like I said, the, the purpose was for them to be married and breed, right? <laughs> and keep yeah. the house, really, and look after the husband rather than get educated. So she was quite, she's like, oh, gosh, uh, yeah, because I, I was the first of my cousins, not, I'm not the oldest, but I was the first of my, in my cousins to actually go to university, yeah. Um, so in our family and uh, at one point, like I was uh, talking to the family and saying, oh, yeah, you know, my my uh, my sister, I'd advise my sister. And she, and she was like, oh, she shouldn't go to university because she'll find one as well. So what do you mean she'll find one? She'll find a boyfriend. <laughs> That's what you do when you go to university. 
And that was the last thing on my mind, you know. <laughs> just like, I'd just crack up at some of her, some of her things, and she didn't know English. Uh, but you know, she did very well in the UK still. Or she was embarrassed. She knew a few words, but she was embarrassed about her accent and you know using yeah. it and what have you and stuff like that. So I do remember like some you know oh, why are you always speaking to people in English she'd go and like I think oh she doesn't un she understood absolutely everything <laughs> I'd be on the phone to my aunt in Zambia going yeah she's pretending to be sick so that my uncle comes and visits her and the moment you finish the conversation she goes why did you say that <laughs> <laughs> That's um I I mean I've I've lived in uh, Spain where I didn't I kind of understood what people were saying but I couldn't speak it so I really feel for people who've yeah. migrated and they haven't necessarily had the opportunity to learn English as well like I was actually an English teacher for speakers of other languages so I've had quite a few students that have been maybe in the country for like sixty years but they haven't they haven't actually been able to communicate and I think yeah it's 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 incredibly resilient to be able to do that mm. and um to to be in a country where you're really not able to to interact with everyone that's incredible yeah so I, I do think there's something about this kind of um like they are hidden stories aren't they for grandmothers because like you say they were just not given any value at all really their value was all yeah. in having children and uh, I mean there's a lot of uh, what we see in historical documents is all to do with um, educated middle-class rich uh, white women often in, yeah. in England especially and yeah. you don't really get a sense of there being um, older women around who are aren't rich who aren't kind of white who are from a different type of background because they're not really recorded so yeah, yeah. I agree I agree and I and I think it's the same for discoveries and inventions all across the world you know we've got with what we've documented is what we know um, and there are others that are very hidden. I think recently I read about the true discoverer of Mount Everest oh, wow. um, as well. Um, was it, who, was, who was an that? Indian guy? Um, I don't, I don't, I'd have to look up his name again. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really interesting. So that kind of got me thinking again. And I suppose the whole film Hidden fig Figures is about things like that, isn't it? Um, my mum was quite groundbreaking, if I think about it now. Um, so in Zambia, I mean, this is this is loads of years after it gained independence from uh, colonial British rule. Mm. And uh, her first school that she was assigned was a government school, which was my first primary school. She was not allowed uh, into the staff room because she was not white. Oh, my goodness. So every break time, she had to sit on a stool outside the staff room by herself for her break. And it's now really that I understand the, you know, the impact of that on her and how strong I've always known her. I mean, to me, she's the most powerful woman I know. She's the most courageous woman I know. But I now fully, you know, when I think about that, and I think that is so incredible that she didn't lose it. And, you know, she was able to handle that and she kept going. And then another member of staff was hired 
who is a black lady. And so the two of them were sitting on stools outside the staff room at break time. And my mum could not take it anymore then. So she got up, she opened the door and she says, we're going in there. And, yeah. and the both of them went in and broke that barrier, really. And, and I think that's, that's so interesting on so many levels because she was willing to put up with that for herself, but not for somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah. And so it's a, it's a proper like Rosa Parks type story, yeah. really, isn't it? But it's not something that's documented anywhere, but yeah, it makes me even more proud of, you know, my, my heritage, I guess. Mm. Um, and you know, my grandma, I mean, she, no English, she didn't have qualifications uh, or anything like that. So for her to survive in the UK as a woman on her own, living on her own, is just like, wow such a powerful powerful woman you know she she used to sew clothes and then sell those when she could you know yeah um and and my mom like growing lockdown lockdown is so interesting because when I hear of friends who've got little kids and it is hard it, it's been so hard for people because they've had to homeschool or they're they're working from home and you know, they've got the stresses of dealing with the kids as well. And again, it's made me appreciate my mum even more because my mum worked full time as a teacher, had three children, and then she was a wife as well. And she looked after our home. And she also, like at the weekends, most weekends, because the weather was always nice, we either had... Um, I say dinner parties, that sounds really posh compared to what happens in the UK. <laughs> wasn't quite that. It was they'd have friends over and mum would just go to town and, and fill the whole table up with these dishes. So people would be sitting in, uh, in the lounge or outside and they'd come and help themselves. And, she, you know, she would decorate the salads with little uh, rose petals made from tomatoes. And she was just so creative and artistic as well. So she did all that. And if it wasn't ours, we would be going out to other friends. So she was, you know, all of that. And my dad mainly playing cricket or cards at the weekends. So, you know, she, there was a lot. There was a lot for her to deal with. Um, and I thought, gosh, she never, ever. And she used to make our clothes from scratch because we didn't have like we couldn't. We used to call them ready made clothes. We didn't have all that. Um, and she'd make all our food from scratch. Mm. So things like crisps, for instance, um, we didn't have that. We couldn't just go to a supermarket and buy crisps. So our crisp intake was probably once or twice a year if that happened, because it was made from scratch, you know, by mum doing everything. I remember sitting on the counter as she's cooking and making all these different things. And even even the, the sweets, the Indian sweets, she'd make, they take ages, they take <laughs> ages, you know. And I just sit there and watch her, to be honest. But she still found time for the kids and she still found time to help us with our homework. You know, um, yeah, uh, what what a woman, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but we are blessed with some very, very, like you say, hidden figures, hidden mm. powerful women who are not documented and not spoken about, you know. It's wonderful you telling us that story because it really, it, it's 
really reminds me of how important it is to tell these stories because I can just imagine that I can just imagine her making all these dishes all the people around you having having your own clothes made for you as well that's just incredible that she did all that and it it is really important and was a full-time teacher absolutely and had to sit outside the class uh, the staff room I mean it's just incredible but I guess you I guess you do kind of rise above adversity but Mm. I do think that people don't realize I think that how much older women I mean I'm saying older women because she she would have been your mother would have been the kind of previous generations wouldn't she so she so and I'm an I'm getting to 50 now so I'm getting into that stage (laughs) not quite there but I'm I'm seeing it I'm seeing it in the future and um I just think like gosh we're looking at a history here by sharing these stories you're looking at a history of people who propped up everyone who did all that work and you know you do have to you do have to have some kind of like inspiration from that from how open-hearted they were to do that and how hard-working and like you say like really powerful Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely so didn't really go through life with a with a bitter chip on their shoulder you know just just carried on um and and I think that that's also part of like a migrant mentality really because you know that resilience develops through there yeah I remember like one time um I'm on the phone to my grandma and uh she she said oh what have you been doing today and I've been to a creative writing class so I was describing it to her and I said oh I've been writing stories and Gran can you tell me about your story like how you moved uh, to Kenya and then Zambia and uh, she just went that's all you've been doing just writing stories (laughs) (laughs) I was like yeah I want to know your stories I've got she says well what can I tell you you had uncles and aunts who were died who died before your mom even got married so yeah and and I thought that that was quite a revealing moment because that told me a lot about the grief that she's carried in her heart and never spoken about not once you know with us she's always laughing or joking or or you know saying oh why did why why are they doing that or you know what what's this and you know, just making us some delicious biryani or roast potatoes or things like that. But, you know, she's carried that all her life that she had, you know, these other children who died and, you know, massive loss. Mm, Very resilient, very powerful and resilient women. Yeah. I think there is, um, there is a lot of kind of silence around lost stories like that and um like I know with the with the second world war it's happened a lot um with people who did like that that generation didn't really want to talk about it they didn't want to talk about the horrors that went on but my my gran actually lost her brother in uh the second world war and uh she saw him he arrived as a ghost um on the at the end of her bed and she told me the story of that and she was kind of got woke up and went, um, what are you doing here, Eric? And um, and he disappeared. And then she found out later that he died in oh, combat. Wow. So, wow. yeah. That's so, amazing. 
I was kind of I was going to ask you if you'd ever seen a ghost actually because I was kind of like I've always been very fascinated by that because I'm sure there are loads of people who have that experience it's a very common experience yeah yeah see your kind of lost loved ones especially in the war yeah 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 I think so I think my my mum my mum used to dream a lot um about people who'd passed on so one of the you know Muslim funeral rituals is like the body gets washed and it's a, it's a, in a certain ritualistic manner and my mum was one of the people who always did that um wow yeah she she had a affinity to it for some reason maybe the siblings that she'd lost I don't know but um yeah so she and um yeah my my mum became quite religious um shortly after moving to the UK not she wasn't she was always religious but not to the degree that she became when she moved to the UK she she started to wear the hijab here as well but she would quite often dream and sometimes the dreams were also happening at the same time so it was almost like lucid dreaming so she told me like when she was a child growing up in Kenya they were being burgled and at the same time she was dreaming that they were being burgled mm -hmm. so she woke up and told my granddad and that's how they caught the burglars and uh for me personally I haven't seen uh you know somebody who's passed or a spirit but I sense so for instance I have um my great-grandmother has a very distinct uh, so my great grandmother didn't use toothbrush, for instance. They have a specific bark that yeah. they chew on. I don't even know what it's called. I know my grandma and, and uh, great grandma call it datan, and I don't know how, what it's translated to. I was just thinking about it the other day. I wonder what they were using because my, uh, you know, they have perfect teeth, really. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, yeah, so I, that smell is very distinct and not something I've ever smelt in the UK. Mm. And yet here I was, I was putting my washing out on the line one day and I smelt my great grandma. Oh, and, wow. And that was pretty powerful. That's happened. And then um, a boyfriend that I was with... Um, once when his dad passed away uh, we were walking around um, Cork Abbey I think and it was around in the grounds around the chapel area and there was nobody around honestly I checked he checked there was nobody around and I smelled a cigar and his dad loved cigars so of, and even at his funeral in the church, there was a presence and I could feel that presence. Um, yeah, so there's been a few instances like that. There've also been a few instances like for my school friends where I'd lost touch and I just, you know, just thought of them. Uh, they came to my mind. And then years later, when I connected with other school friends and asked about that friend, that friend had passed away and they oh, passed cool. away when I they'd come into my mind mm -hmm. so I've had instances like that that are um yeah special moments I think very special mm -hmm. moments yeah I, I'd love the idea that your great-grandmother is still visiting you occasionally <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never hear I, I don't hear that much from my nan 
but uh, I did used to, I did get this kind of thing about um because I've done this whole show about it and everything so I thought about it a lot and I did get this feeling like some something about getting a dog and I and I had this memory of how obsessed I was with the little dog that she had in a in a like a little it was like a little toy dog it was really small and um and I just had this kind of image of a little golden fluffy dog and I have actually got a golden fluffy dog now <laughs> and I kind of felt like oh maybe my nan sent me my dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean don't, yeah you know don't doubt that that's uh and and for you to write the show about her as well I mean she will definitely her spirit will be involved in some way um you know in the process of all that information coming through that that's how I like to see it I like to see it that way that you know they're they're all around us and they all just become one Thank you again to my guest Ishikar and Jackson for sharing her stories with me. I know my nan didn't actually make up the stories she told me. She definitely believed in them. And I think a little bit like her, I'm a sponge for ideas. I can quite happily be taken in by anything new age. I have so many crystals, I could make a rockery or star in Breaking Bad. But maybe, also like her, I could meditate a bit more. And so could we all do some meditation, yoga, just be in the present moment that bit more. You don't have to see ghosts for that. I'm off to contemplate nature and life and the mysteries of the universe, aka sit in the garden, have a G&T and read a book. See you soon. And I spend all my money on whiskey and Stand By Your Nan has been written and performed by Rachel Sandbrooks, co-produced with Steve Keyworth, and with music by Lewis Barfoot. It's a Gertie Words production funded by Arts Council England. No, never. No, never.